I am Rachel Humphrey with DEI Advisors, and today I am excited to be joined by Emily Goldfisher of Hertelier, who's going to spend a little bit of time with us today telling us about her journey to leadership and the lessons she's learned along the way. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Emily, DEI Advisors is a nonprofit organization to empower personal success of those up and coming in the hospitality industry. And one of the really important aspects of this industry is how different everybody's journey to leadership can be. Not one unique path trailblazes for everybody else. Yours is even more unique than some of the others that we have interviewed so far. Tell me a little bit your background, your path, and how you got to where you are today. Great. Thank you. First, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of DEI Advisors. I listen to many of your interviews and I love them. So I really feel honored to be here today. So thank you for that. And yeah, in terms of my journey, I think it is interesting in that I actually think where I started was I went to Cornell. And I went to Cornell because actually my father had gone there on scholarship. And the university was very important to him. It was really a big change for him in his life. And as a kid, I'm the youngest of five, I was always going up to Cornell. And so that, I went to Cornell, basically. And actually, when I went there, I was there to study natural sciences. (laughs) And freshman year, I took biology with all the pre-med kids, and it was tough. It was not for me. (laughs) And I ended up switching to the hotel school because actually I had an older brother, Alan Canders, which some people may know in the industry, some of your followers, he's on the investment side. And he had been in the hotel school. And so I decided to switch from doing science to hotel, which was a really great move for me. And I enjoyed it very much. And I really got into the program. And then I ended up working in a couple of different hotels. And when I graduated, I actually ended up working in public relations. I didn't know if I wanted to do operations. And actually, when I graduated, it was in the early 90s. And there was a bit of a recession. So I didn't have a job at graduation. And I went home and then I started looking at different careers and I stumbled upon public relations through the Cornell Careers Office and I applied for an internship, which I didn't get. And then I decided that sounds like a really cool job. And I applied to quite a few different PR firms that just did travel. And I ended up going to this company called KWE Associates. And I stayed there for six years, working on all different kinds of clients, uh, destinations in the Caribbean, higher resorts, Royal Caribbean cruise lines. It was a lot of fun. During that time, while I worked at KWE, I actually left for a year and I went, came to London to go to graduate school. And then I ended up going back and working with them. And from there, I went in-house and I worked for Lowe's Hotels. And I did that for 12 years. Sorry, for 10 years. (laughs) And 12 years ago, I moved to London for my husband's job. And at the time, we had two small children that are both teenagers now. But at that time, they were small. and We were going to come here for two years and ended up staying for 12 years. And at that time, because we were only staying for two years, I decided to become a journalist, which is a flip side of working in public relations. And 
there we go. And that's how I got into journalism. And if you want me to continue to talk about her tellier, I can do that. But basically, five years ago, I noticed that women were making big strides in the industry. And I didn't feel that anybody was really telling those stories. And I think back to my Lowe's days and who inspired me. And at Lowe's, I had really a lot of amazing mentors. And, and and there was a lot of women in leadership at the company at the time I was there. And I guess with that in my mind, and then seeing what was happening in the industry, and then what the Castell Project was doing, and the research, and that there was a movement happening, but nobody was really writing about it in the way that I thought it could be done. And during the pandemic, I decided to just go for it. I, first of all, from biologist to journalist to now entrepreneur, that's an incredibly inspirational story. And I always like to share, Emily, how I first came into contact or how someone else that I am interviewing has really impacted my career or my journey. And I remember the first time I reached out, I had read just a little blurb about her tellier during, early on during the pandemic. And I reached out to you to learn more and wanted to talk to you about possibly showcasing somebody that I was working alongside. But what I realized over the last couple of years as we've had an opportunity to interact is you were able to see a need and figure out a way to fill it and then execute on it. And that's an incredible inspirational message for any of us who a lot of people can see a need a lot of people might even know what the solution to that need is, but then to really take that final step and talk for a little bit, you just mentioned where you saw an opening to Storytel, which is so incredibly important, but talk a little bit, what have you learned from the launch of Her Tell Your? I'm guessing it's a learn every single day, both skills, content, whatever it is, but as you continue to grow, what are some of the things that you have learned from this particular venture or how has it impacted you as a leader or an industry executive at this point in your career? Yeah, I'll actually answer that question in two parts. So I think the first thing is there's been a tremendous amount of learning in terms of I've been a writer for the last decade, whatever, but I never built my own website. (laughs) I had never really thought much about SEO. And then Canva, the graphic design. So I actually learned a ton on the technical side of how one has a website and how you host a website and then actually even finding a company to host the website. That's been a huge learning curve, which I have to say has really had its ups and downs. But I think that being challenged in that way has been really good for me and my mind. And then in terms of the Hertelier piece and what have I learned is like, actually, I've interviewed now over 300 women and the lessons I've learned have been innumerable. We could, I, we only have a half an hour, Rachel, so I can't <laughs> tell you all of that. But I feel like a lot of the themes have actually come across in your interviews also on the DI advisors. So I just, I think there's just so much knowledge to share. And I think what's been wonderful about technology is just the democratization of being able to sh- share stories. If you think back to when you and I were in college or even just in our first jobs, like you, there were, you were in certain trade magazines or there were business publications, but there wasn't 
the ability to do what you and I are both doing now. And I think that's really a great thing. I will tell you that David and Leanne and Dorothy and I can sympathize with your learning new technologies and Canva and social media and other things that throughout our career may not have been our number one responsibilities. So I love that. I also think you bring up a great point about interviewing these 300 plus people that, you know, you and I now have access through relationships and roles to tremendous stories, to industry leaders who, whether it's one-on-one or at conferences, we get to listen to and be inspired by. And the idea of sharing those stories barrier-free with anyone who wants to listen, wants to read, is really powerful to me. So thank you for doing all of that work and continuing to share those stories. I think that's so important for the industry. But you have now, both in talking about your journey and in talking about Hertelier a little bit, talked on some life lessons that I think are really important and that a lot of us are contemplating or trying to figure out strategies for. And I want to start with taking risks to go to college and then completely pivot for what you want to do to move across the into to a different country to stay there, to really pivot roles, to leave being a journalist and start a new venture completely. Those are all things that are incredibly risky. How do you evaluate risk? How do you decide which ones are worth taking or that, you know what, here's a risk that I'm not going to do. And here are some of the reasons why. What is your process like for that? Yeah, it's funny because as I was thinking about this, I think there are some people that are very intentional about every decision that they make. And then I think there's people like me. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't say I always think through everything, even with Hertelier, which actually is probably the hugest risk I've ever done. I guess it's what you have to think about what's the potential downside. But then also, I think it's what's the upside. So, for example, moving to London, that to me and my husband, that had huge upside where like we can live in London, we can travel around, we can give our kids this amazing cross-cultural experience. So I think the more you think about the upside, the less you worry about the downside. Power of positive thinking. (laughs) I think me. Yeah. I think if you worry too much about the downside, I can end up being self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, in a way. And that's something you want to avoid. So I, I try to always be very optimistic. And so far, that's worked out for me in my life. That's great advice. Similar to that, nobody gets to where they are in their career, the levels that you've reached without facing some setbacks and challenges. And I have heard you say before that there are no such thing as failures, only learning opportunities. Talk a little more about that philosophy. Again, a very positive way of looking at it. (laughs) Again, that mindset of how you turn what could be an incredible stumble or even a barrier to what you're trying to achieve into a positive life lesson. Yeah, I, it's interesting because this concept of failure, I think at the moment is having quite a renaissance. Living here in the UK, there's actually this woman, an author and a journalist called Elizabeth Day, who's actually turned failure into a whole platform. She has a podcast called How to Fail, and she interviews celebrities and authors and artists about the three biggest failures in their lives, and then share they share those lessons. And it's actually a very good and interesting podcast. But the whole point of it is that actually a failure is just an opportunity to learn. So 
I'm trying not to be afraid of failure anymore <laughs> and to try more things. Now, as you get older, I think it's easier to do that, actually. I think when you're first starting out, you're, you don't have enough life experience not to be afraid. Yeah. So that's how I've been approaching. And then in terms of hotelier, yeah, it was a huge risk. There's every day a mini failure of sort <laughs> where you just try things. If you look at the site or even our Instagram page from early on, the look has changed. We've changed, tweaked how we do the interviews and things. Some of it is to save time or some of it is because people don't respond to it. There's, a, I'm sure you see this with your interviews as well. There's some that you think, oh my God, this is going to kill it. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't, or there's some that you're like, oh, nobody's going to care about this. And it like, it's on fire. So yeah. it's really interesting. That idea of ever evolving, if you go back and look at day one of what you were putting out and day, whatever we're at now, yeah. multiple years, yeah. Um, that continuous growth is actually part of each of our leadership development as well. It's not just the evolution of Hertelier. It's as you continue to grow and develop, whether it's as an entrepreneur or as a storyteller or a consolidator mm -hmm. of information. Talk about where you turn to continue to develop those skill sets, whether it's website development or leadership yeah. or how to interview or public speak. There's a lot of growth that happens really for you now at this stage or chapter. We never stop learning. What are some of the paths that you choose for that? Yeah, I, I and I know a lot of the people you've interviewed have said this, but I am just a very curious person by nature. I love to read. In fact, before I didn't say this in the first question, which was, how did you end up in PR? But I've always loved to read the newspaper. I've always been a, just a really, I'm into reading. I like to read. I think that's been a way where reading leads you to growth because you're learning stuff all the time. And actually, I wanted to mention two books that I've read in the last year that have really helped me with Hertelier. And also just as I think in general about my career and then lessons to share with the hotelier readers and with your listeners. But one is called Build for Tomorrow. Yes, I brought show and tell. <laughs> and it's by actually the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. Okay. And he I think this book just came out a couple of months ago, but it's great. And he really talks about different skills and then also dealing with change and how you can do that and how to be very proactive about learning and growing. So I really like that. And then the and other book that I... you just one second for those who are listening and not watching, it was called Build oh, for Tomorrow. Yeah. Build for Tomorrow, Jason Pfeiffer. And then the other book is called When Women Lead. And that's by Julia Borston, who's a reporter on CNBC. And she actually interviewed a hundred women that are startup founders. So that's less than 2% of all startups are get startup founders get that get funding are female. And so she really honed in on those women because she's like, actually, if you're less than 2% of this bigger population, how did you do that? How are you successful? And the lessons in this book are tremendous. So that's an example. And then actually, at the moment, I'm reading a book called I Don't Have the because I have a Kindle, which I mostly read on my Kindle. And it's called How Women Rise. And I would say that's another really great book, because it talks about all the habits that somehow either are ingrained in women because of 
the unconscious bias or things that just you learn when you grow up, but you don't really think about, and then it's holding you back in your career. So I, that's another one. I actually don't know who wrote the book, but it's called How Women Rise. So I recommend that as well. I love that. I am actually a voracious reader as well. And I learn a lot and have learned a lot through various careers that I've had about myself, about leadership, about development and other things. And I think even if you take a single tidbit away from a book, it has been well worth the read. So I love to hear that as a strategy. I wonder if that is becoming more of a lost strategy, given how we consume information these days. But I love to hear that for sure. I want to turn a little bit to one of the things we hear about as a stumbling block for a lot of women that are trying to take their career to the next level, which is a generalization that we are not good at advocating for ourselves, whether it's for a position, whether it's for a speaking opportunity monetarily. What do you provide for advice, either from those that you've interviewed or in your experience, ways that if somebody is really feeling hung up about advocating for themselves, they might think about it. It's interesting because actually what I, most of my career was in public relations. So that's really advocating for other people. And so you would think that as a person who's trained and done that for most of my career, that I would find it very easy. So I think it's really something that it's natural for people to struggle with, particularly for women. They've done a lot of studies that you know, women do, it's not just in our heads, like actually women do struggle with advocating for themselves, whether again, it's like these biases that we grow up with. So you have to overcome those. And what are different ways, again, is like listening to things like this DI advisors, learning from other people, getting men that can help you to learn how to do it. But ultimately, it's just learning that delicate balance of how do I hate for myself without coming off being braggy or that you don't deserve it because usually you do deserve it. And actually what they say, and again, that's in this book, How Women Rise is like, women think is if you're doing your job and doing it well, people will notice you and actually that's not how it works at all. And that men somehow they're trained on just learning how to always be going for that next promotion, not to make themselves indispensable in the job that they're in so that the boss maybe doesn't want to worry about replacing them as like, it's like learning how to be invaluable. So this idea of being the person that is going to help where the, in the company needs you most And that's also, I think, a skill that's really important to learn. And a lot of it's just life experience. And again, trying to find mentors that that can help you. You said at the start of that about, I can't remember the exact words that you used, but I'm going to not being too much of a braggart or something else, but honestly, celebrating successes. We're so hard on ourselves. We we recognize and attach to every perceived failure, setback, challenge but we don't really take the time to celebrate the successes either internally or externally and maybe finding more room for that to help others see. And then when you're advocating for yourself, you see this history of successes and other positivity. One of the trends we hear a lot and you interview a lot of people, you read a lot, you share a lot of articles, is this renewed focus on self-care and wellness. Are you thinking that finally is here to stay? Is this a trend coming out of the pandemic that when we get back into bad habits or old habits, we're going to revert from? How do you think you've done from a self-care and wellness standpoint? 
Yeah, I think it's here. I think it's different than it was before. I do think there is this mental health piece that people are talking about more openly now. In terms of my personal self-care, I've always been into trying to keep fit. Um, I, I've run, in my 20s, I, was, I ran a, the New York City Marathon a couple of times. I don't do that now. <laughs> But I do things like yoga and I still run actually not as far, just a couple of miles. But yeah, I do think it's really important. I've tried to teach my kids that you have to do some kind of exercise every day. And I think people realize that there's this, um, I think it's called the happiness challenge that's going around now. I think it's that Gretchen Rubin is the author of that. And she said for 2023, just try to get out for 23 minutes a day just to get outside I think oh, that wow. we have learned a lot during the pandemic in terms of the importance of being outside, interacting with people, having the social element that I think people miss so much. And just there is, it's important to have that balance in your life. And I think it's when you don't focus on those things that the other things get more stressful, that you worry about things that you shouldn't be worrying about. I think you just made a great point is that self-care and wellness can be different things. It can be fresh air. It can be exercise. It can be social interaction. It doesn't have to be going out and running the New York City Marathon. Congratulations (laughs) to you because that is no small feat. Thanks. Uh, Relating to that, you mentioned moving with young children who are now teenagers, and you may know I have a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old daughter. So we are exiting the teenage years and into the young adult years. What are some of the strategies you have used to either be a continuous work in progress or to find some um, combination of where you can be a successful careerist, but also a mom, a wife, a daughter, and a sister, other things like that? Yeah. Look, we did a big pivot when we moved here for my husband's job. And at that time, my kids were four and six. I had been working at Lowe's, which is a great company for women. I had two kids there and did my maternity leaves and all that. But look, it was hard. And I think as most of your listeners work in travel, the travel piece can be difficult with young children. And we did see this as an opportunity for me to maybe take a more of a bigger role at home and let my husband's job be more of the focus. And so that was why journalism was a great pivot for me at that time. And then also just moving countries, it was it's hard with little kids. And then being here, we were moved here temporarily. So we were renting. So we moved a couple of times. So moving house is really hard. <laughs> it's funny. I was I was in Florida last week and I met, I was, saw some old Lowe's colleagues and I met a woman who had moved with her husband 18 times. He were, I think had worked for Hyatt. So it's moving around is no joke. And I think it's something that a lot of people in the hotel business can really relate to. And I, you know what, I hope that in the course of these interviews, you find someone who tells you the secret to make it easier. And (laughs) I am not that person. But yeah, I just think in terms of the balance, I think life is like in waves, you have peaks and valleys. So now I've been the last two years super busy with her tell you, which I love. But yeah, it's like, 
you can't, I don't think you can have two spouses with really intense jobs for an extended period of time. You can do that in short bursts. And then also you have to have help. So when we lived in New York, I had a full-time nanny, but then when we moved here, I kind of became the nanny as well. I have done that route as well, but good support yeah. systems, you're right, are so critical, whether they're internal or external support systems. You talked about life being being a wave. And that's one of the things that I actually love about life is that we learn as we go, that we are works in progress. But this idea of continuous growth, whether it's through books like you do or other things, What would you tell 21-year-old Emily about how things have turned out today? Yeah, I never would have predicted how my life has unfolded, but I think I would just tell her to hang in there. (laughs) It's going to be fine. (laughs) I love that. The little things, they always pass. Nice. Excellent advice. I'm going to ask you a couple of final things. Where is Emily's happy place today? Where will we see you relaxed and enjoying life the most? With my family. And also I'm a big, we're big travelers. And that was part of the motivation for moving to London. We've traveled all around the world. Those are my happy things to be traveling. And with my family, I also love cooking and exercising. So those are, that's what I like to do. Nice. Emily, keeping in mind the motto of DEI advisors to empower personal success, is there a final piece of advice or something that you would share with our listeners about taking this next step or about continuing to empower themselves today? I guess so. I would go back to just being optimistic and knowing that everything is temporary and there's always something good around the corner. Yeah, that would be my advice. I love that. And that's a great place for us to wrap things up a little bit. Emily, what you are doing with Hertelier is incredibly exciting. It is also empowering and inspiring for so many of us, much needed in the industry. So on behalf of the hospitality industry, but also for me personally, who gets so much energy and motivation from what you are doing, thank you for your leadership. And also thank you for supporting DEI advisors and joining us on our show today. Thank you for having me. And I would just say for anyone listening, please sign up for our Sunday roundup. I send out a newsletter every Sunday, which I know you read, Rachel. And then also, I just want to make mention of my partner with Hertelier, which is Nancy Mendelson. And she's actually was my mentor at Lowe's. And we've had a long history and great relationship. And she's really taught me a lot. So I want to give a shout out to Nancy Mendelson, who also writes a weekly column that gives life advice. So definitely one for your listeners to check out. You're right. I do read the weekly roundup. I also follow you on LinkedIn. And I would encourage everybody to do the same. Such a great resource for all of us in this industry. And I would tell our listeners and our audience today, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've liked what you've heard, we hope you'll tune in to deiadvisors.org and hear from the more than 70 industry leaders who have shared their incredible journeys and their insights along the way. We are also streaming on all of your favorite podcast streaming channels. So Emily, thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening.